Hello and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, boys and girls, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. On today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, I'll be joined by a fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, to talk all things college football national title game with Matt's University of Georgia Bulldogs, uh, taking care of business against the Tide, Kirby beating Saban. Uh, what that game meant, especially for Matt being a University of Georgia super fan. So we dive into all of that, uh, the AD Mitchell catch, Stetson Bennett, uh, Bryce Young, all, all kinds of stuff. Will Anderson, we we cover it all and talk about it in full detail. So that's how we kick things off here on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast with Matt. Plus, we got radio voice of Utah Jazz, David Locke on the Jazz and the NBA as a whole. Plus... Tiff County head coach Neil Dean to talk about his program in his first year down there running that Blue Devil program in uh, South Georgia. So had a lot of fun getting to know David and uh, Neil on the program along with him and Matt to talk all things Georgia versus Bama in the college football playoff national title game. Uh, Before we get started with today's show, I would also like to mention how you can support this very program. It starts with leaving a quick five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify, if that is your preferred app of choice for listening to this very program. Uh, Make sure to go visit chasethomaspodcast.com for access to all of my previous episodes. Make sure to subscribe to the Sports Renaissance Man newsletter at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Again, that is sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email. That's simple. Do that today. As always, you can email the program at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com for any mailbag questions, any questions you have for me, just hit me up there. Uh, also, make sure to follow me on twitter.com at chase double underscore Thomas, along with uh, the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's ride. Chase Thomas Podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Full Ride here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am joined by my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, and one of the happiest sports fans on planet Earth, where his two main teams, he's got like a, he's got the flag set up behind him of the, uh, the Georgia uh, Atlanta Braves set up, and both teams won a title this past season now. Georgia finishes it. The Braves started it, although I will uh, throw out there were a lot of people on Twitter.com who were equating Atlanta sports with the University of Georgia, which is a no-go and a full stop from this man right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. However, that is besides the point. It is Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is a great evening, (laughs) I say. Um, yeah, 2021. I know we're into 2022 now, but uh, 2021 has to go down as a uh, greatest sports year uh, of all time in the state of uh, in the state of Georgia. Um, I know. I think people real people get real butt hurt about including at, at the, uh, UGA with the Atlanta sports stuff, but um, because they shouldn't. No, you can understand the uh, the heartbreak that those two fan bases have felt, and they're what an hour apart from each other, so. Obviously, the Braves are like the Southeast team for the most part, but mm. Georgia, it's a little, it's a little closer connection. 
Hold on. Georgia, Blooper, but it's Blooper just... Blooper was in Athens. That's all I know. Blooper was in Athens the day after he won his championship. That's, that's all I'm saying. Blooper yeah, I didn't like that either. Didn't like that either. But no, the whole thing is just, you know, Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta for a long time. Let me tell you, folks. A lot of Auburn. A lot of Alabama. A lot of, a lot of Clemson. A lot of South Carolina. A lot of South Carolina. Um, not as much Tennessee as you might expect, but folks from all over the Southeast. Atlanta is a melting pot for, for university fans all over the place. Um, I could, I might even make the case there's more Alabama fans in Atlanta than, than Georgia fans, but, um, oh, that's false. There's no way. I don't know, man. (laughs) Go out in Atlanta. There's a bunch of transplants in Atlanta for sure. It's Mm -hmm. a mixed bag, but UGA is definitely the number one team. Either way semantics let's just not include them let's not include them as an atlanta sports guy who's also a tennessee volunteer and all the atlanta sports gals and guys who are bama fans and atlanta fans and the auburn fans and this that and the other that it's it's a different plight it's a different plight um we don't have to we don't have to bring them together and i physically cannot handle bringing those two together but i am not going to rain on your parade this evening macri my mom asked me about uh this pod this morning text me she's like oh the pod with uh matt tonight should be interesting huh and i was like oh this is uh this is starting so shout out to mother uh why did i say mother like that shout out to my mother um but yeah i i, uh, I, I lost my train of thought there because i just said mother like that and i just it just completely well, your mother is a wise lady right and, uh they, uh, I don't know where they went wrong with you in this Tennessee ball stuff, but uh, they, they know who the right team is. Well, uh, I would disagree. Very happy in my sea of orange. Uh, however, Matt Green, this is all about you. This is all about your team. You earned it. You've been with them from the beginning. You have been through the trials and the tribulations of all kinds of upsets and losses and heartbreak with aaron murray and the the 2000 what was it 15 uh mark rick team 2012 or 2012 yeah yeah junior year Mm -hmm. uh that was so heartbreaking but um yeah all of that's that's what all this was for all for the for the todd Gurleys, the aaron murray's of the world um the nick chubbs the sony michelle's roquan smith's just uh george had a lot of really good teams david green years boss bailey um a lot of great teams over the years. Like, I mean, if you're really stacking it up, like since Rick took over in 2001, what is this? That's, is that exactly 20 seasons or is that 21 seasons? Um, yeah, exactly. That's 21 seasons. Um, George has been like one of the top five, top 10 programs in college football, but that's just that, that dark cloud is hanging over on that. All the other teams that consider themselves top five or top 10 all have that national championship in recent history to go along with it but um yeah i would say it's uh it's just a huge monkey off off of georgia's back and like we've seen how what kirby smart can do uh as far as building this program in just six years and now this guy's got a national championship attached to his name like the the sky is is absolutely the limit for this for this georgia team and i just i think because georgia was built the way they were built it's just so hard to build another Alabama. So the assumption is the only way to beat a team that can beat Alabama is to do something different, is to have this dynamic quarterback, a dynamic offense. Like we've seen the Deshaun Watsons and and Trevor Lawrence and even Joe Burrow beating this Alabama team. But it's, it's almost like what we were watching was the opposite 
um, in that game last night. It's like Georgia was the traditional Alabama stacked roster uh, all over the place and the game manager at quarterback, quote unquote. And then Alabama was the team that was built to beat uh, was built to beat that type of team with the dynamic quarterback play, just like the individual brilliance, basically. And so, yeah, it was it was nice to see. You know, everyone says that you have to have a top 10 first round pick type player at quarterback in order to win a national championship. But I think it's because no one can really grasp building a roster that good that no disrespect to Stetson Bennett, that a quarterback like Stetson Bennett can can take a team to a national title. Right. It's it's just like the, the Michigan thing was a good example of this. It's like Cade could have won a national title at Georgia. He can't win a national title at Michigan. Like when you have the margin of error is just so thin when you get into this level of college football competition where it's just five stars everywhere, where Georgia has 19 five star players. They're playing a different sport than a lot of teams uh, across the country. Um, they are not playing on a level level playing field. That's just the way it is. They've recruited that way two of the last four years, top top class. And we'll get into just how uh, unreal their current roster is. But like you said, this was like what we saw early in Alabama's tenure. This was what we saw um, Saban building before he flipped with Kiffin and evolved with it. But this was an interesting game and an interesting season. But it also just feels right for me because what have I told you all year? We were like, well, it can't just be Kirby has to win this year. They might not win ever. My point all year was just that like, when you're averaging wins of 41 to seven and you have this much talent on defense, there's really just like no excuse because there's just so much talent. You saw it on full display uh, last night. It was just, it was a lot and they came to play. They never wavered. Um, Even when their backs went against the wall, they never wavered. They never gave up the big play. Part of that was Jamison Williams went down. Part of that was John Mechie was not available. That's just the nature of the beast that like, hey, injuries are part of this game. Alabama won a title when Colt McCoy went out after the first play. Um, you can't control that. That's just the way it is. The sport is uh, unforgiving to most folks and uh, it's just part of the game. And when you, you win with what the whatever the path is in front of you, you, you take it. But I don't know. I just this was the best college football team in the country all season long and they proved it on monday it's just not an underdog story it's just not a it the narrative that has come out of it uh because they beat alabama and because kirby finally slayed the dragon um that the it's just it feels like an underdog story but like we talked about georgia was favored yeah, i mean it but, might not be david and goliath yes but it's at least it's at least like that it's someone David versus Dave or Goliath versus like, Goliath. Yeah, just someone, you know, getting to the top of the mountain, essentially, you know, like mm. getting to Everest, essentially. Like, I guess that's kind of like, I don't know what, you know, what kind of spin you want to put on it, like what kind of story you want to label it. But it's beating Alabama is never is never an easy task. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Georgia had this hanging over them more so than other teams because they directly play them in the SEC. So most of the time to get out of the conference, you're going to have to go through Bama. And um, it's interesting that both times Georgia has made the college football playoff. They, they haven't gone through Bama. They either beat Auburn uh, in back in 2017 and then obviously lost to Bama in the championship and then lost to Bama here in, in 2021, but were able to get a, a rematch in the playoff. So it's, um, it's poetic justice. I think it had to, it had to come down to Bama. If, 
if Georgia just beat Cincinnati in in the first round and Michigan in the finals, it it would it would be sweet, right? It would be the the first title in 41 years would definitely be sweet, but but to just to just tear all these uh these borders down, whatever you want to call it, like all at once, just the 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 beating Nick Saban, the beating Alabama, basically the same thing. Um and ending the national title drought, it's uh it's it's huge. Yeah, I mean, you gave up 153 points this season. You averaged 10 points a game, uh, giving up like 16 total touchdowns. Um, the next closest team, folks, counting at home was Texas A&M at 191, um, giving up 15.9. And I don't think 100, it's... A- 153 points and Alabama scored 59 of those. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty absurd. Mm-hmm. Over a third of of the of the points George gave up all season, and the other half of those were probably garbage garbage points in the fourth quarter. Well, speaking of garbage, are we getting a, a, a fine from Greg Sankey this week? Are the what, are the Georgia Bulldogs getting a fine? They they earned a fine. We got fined for what happened oh. in Neyland, and it happened last night uh, after the fumble by Stetson Bennett, which I would like to get your perspective on because my family and a lot of people did not like that call. But uh, as a impartial observer, that was just a weird play. Uh, that was just an incredibly weird play, and I it always grinds my gears when people are like, "Well, the Bryce Young thing was this," and it's like you got to look at everything play by play. Like I I, I don't understand I that line. Mm-hmm. I feel like though, and they you know refs say makeup calls don't exist or whatever, but to have just two monumental plays in the game like that, mm-hmm. to have them both go against one team that just it felt like it felt wrong like he didn't have a great grip on it but I feel like he's still making a throwing motion he still had enough of the ball that like we all know what's going on he's trying to throw it away and like the guy who fumbled who recovers the fumble like doesn't even know that he's recovering a fumble doesn't even know that he barely got right uh, like kept that was the most insane it. part of it is he yeah, just accidentally got scared. it yeah it's like the ball didn't even juggle. Like he didn't like kind of tap it to himself or they just like perfectly stuck to his hand, put <laughs> in like, it was just kind of crazy, but obviously, yeah, I mean, you're going to be frustrated with a, a huge call in a game like that. Um, especially with the history that comes with, with playing Alabama and some of these big games. I just, it felt, it felt crazy to me that you would overturn. I mean, think about what they called a, a pass on Bryce Young. For the record, I think both of them should have been incomplete passes. But, like, Bryce Young was going down, and he just kind of flicks his wrist, throws the ball directly into the ground. It's like, is that more of a forward pass than a guy who's actually making, like, a throwing motion but kind of, like, kind of juggles, like, doesn't have, like, the best grip of the ball? Like, I don't know. I felt like um, it was a play that, you know, you definitely thought was going to change the outcome of the game. Um, But... But credit to Georgia for for stepping up. I mean, Alabama still got the uh, the touchdown. Like even though they like the only touchdown drive of the game was when they started on Georgia's twenty yard line on that questionable call. So and they still had to work at that. Um, and then Georgia was able to stop them on the two point conversion too. So I felt like that kind of that kind of got some positivity back on the Georgia sideline. But yeah, it, it was um it was an eerie feeling there for for a minute there in the fourth quarter. 
Well, walk me through your night. How did it go? How did it, what was on the menu? What was on the docket in the Green household? What was the setup like? How did Tori approach everything? Were the dogs involved? How did Zeus and Maddox fare with the yelling and the anything like that? Were they even there? What, uh, what was your viewing uh, like? What was your day like in general of just, were you pacing a lot? What, uh, let, walk me through Matt Green, super UGA fan on National Championship Monday. Well, I want to start by saying, like you just said there at the end, National Championship Monday. I didn't <laughs> realize how terrible of an idea it was until it actually came. And yeah, like we we're both trying to be off work by like five. Like Tori ends up having to work till like six or so. Like luckily we like, you know, did some things throughout the day to get ready to go. And she like uh, cooked some thing. Like she cooked some jalapeno poppers. You love those jalapeno poppers more than any other oh, food man. item I've ever heard anybody it was talk super about. Spicy too. I don't <laughs> think everyone else was uh, was digging them as much as me and Tori were. But uh, and then some buffalo chicken dip. Yeah, it's like it's classic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we just uh, we so much champagne uh, was at my parents' house. That's where we we got the whole fam together to watch it. And um, you know, we we toast the bottles pregame. You know, like I've told you, like amazing season like you gotta gotta toast it up like regardless of what happens great accomplishment just to be here you know and so when we were when i was going through the um i don't know if you follow graham coffee on yeah Twitter. friend of the pod been on the pod friend multiple pod, times for sure mm. and uh, um he's been i've seen uh i've seen him posting like omens like all week just like oh i was i was at a thrift store and i saw a football with like a with a solid g like in the middle of colorado somewhere and like just different little things he was like his seat number was like 34 or something for like Herschel Walker. So I was like, that was a, it was a good sign, that sort of thing. And so me and Tori are trying to figure out what what uh, champagne to buy at the liquor store. And then she notices the one we bought, it says established 1980. So I was like, boom, that's a, that's a good omen right there. So I, I, we, we got that one. So that's what we toasted it up uh, to a great season. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we felt like we were cutting it close. Because you usually have more time, like on a on a Saturday, to like, kind of prepare for the game. But I guess in that perspective, it was kind of nice because you were distracted uh, throughout nine to five. You're nine to five, you know. But um, yeah, we probably got over there like an hour or two before the game started, and then um, you know the festivities happen. Unfortunately, Zeus and Maddox they they stayed at our, at our house, but they did um, not make it. Parents, okay, they did, they did not make the trip. But yeah, I mean, it was just it was awesome. Um, very festive environment, you know. So uh, we, uh, we we stayed positive, and I, I I want I want the the record to show uh-huh. that I was one of the Georgia fans that always believed in, in Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett. You know, maybe I didn't understand why J T Daniels was getting a shot, but I feel like um, no one really acknowledged just how much better he had gotten from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty. It's like it's like we acknowledge that a five star prospect can can improve a bunch from one year to the next, but, but a, a former walk on two, three star prospect can't, it's like, those guys can improve with experience, you know, just like anybody else. So it's, it felt like a lot of like, I'm, I'm definitely, I will admit before the season started, I did not want to see, I want Stetson Bennett to see the field again. Like I, I was over the Stetson Bennett uh, experiment that we had in 2020, but you could tell that he was just clearly a better player than he was the year before and I mean like 30 touchdowns on the season seven picks like this guy's this guy's story's a movie man 
it is funny though like when you look back and you rewatch the game and you you go back and you think about certain moments that if this happens what what do we what are we talking about on this very podcast like him dribbling the football early on like that happened um him making a lot of reckless stuff like he he was reckless and if a couple of those things don't clearly rattled early yes but if that goes differently if that goes like the normal oh god the sky is falling georgia way we're looking at stetson and kirby and everything else completely differently that almost happened with the with the fumble that we were talking about like it's amazing how just the it just it's amazing the fine line that these players and coaches and these narratives really are that they have to walk that it's just moment to moment these little things you don't think about in the moment can just change your entire career like stetson bennett's gonna never have to work hard at all to sell insurance in the greater Athens area for the next 40 years because of this. He gets to ride off into the sunset in a perfect way and just be a legend in the state of Georgia forever. But if those balls that he's bouncing early in the first quarter, if they, when he's rattled and it doesn't, he it doesn't rebound the way or it gets out of hand too quickly, it's completely different. Like everything is different, but they survived and they kept fighting. Like I, I don't know if I texted you this, but I texted some buddies where I was like, are we sure Todd Monken doesn't belong in a prison cell at this moment? Like, what are we doing here with seven yards of carry from Cook and um, Zeus who were just cooking? Like, those two were... the Alabama just did not have any answers, and they kept getting cute. The The saddest flea flicker of all time happened in this game. Um, it was It was just... It was an interesting game as a whole, but I also will mention because this had nothing about Alabama LSU from years ago where LSU got lucky to cross the 50. I think they did once and then got pushed immediately back. But like, this was fun. This was a fun football game. Even when it was low scoring, yeah, was way more happening. In the yes. Game. This was fun. Like this was an enjoyable ride. Um, I don't know if the rest of the nation felt that way. Um, and I would understand if they did not, but there was no doubt these are the two best football teams in the country, but also I really enjoyed this game. I really enjoyed the intensity. I was nervous in the fourth quarter and I had no rooting interest. I was on edge. I was anxious. Um, so I enjoyed that aspect of it. And Stetson, man, he's just the coolest kid and just the most humble, funniest, like him going on Good Morning America this morning, clearly still reeling from the <laughs> night before. I mean, just legendary stuff. I don't know how you can't love the kid. Um but yeah, I mean, great gritty effort. That bomb to AD Mitchell was huge. Uh, them uncorking things to to Pickens was huge early. But I mean, we talk about Stetson a lot, but I'm like, he he's not the player of the game. Like the player of the game is the defense. Like the defense just not letting Bryce Young do anything, and them shutting Alabama down in the red zone, and them forcing field goals and saving the game that way. Like the, the defense collectively was the MVP of this football game. And if it's not them. Then it's Cook and Zeus. Um, that that Cook run, the cut on that run, was bonkers. Um, that those were all more important points to me in why they won that football game. I think Stetson was at the the bottom of that list. Would you think that's a fair characterization without taking away who Stetson is and his story and all that? Well, yeah, he didn't win the game, right? But I, I love the quote from Stetson, just saying like, "I'm not going to be the one the reason we lose this game." And mm-hmm. I thought that because. Georgia was in desperate need of of just some sort of boost after that, you know, that fumble, whatever you want to call it, fumble, uh, intentional grounding play that Alabama scored a touchdown right after. Like Georgia needed a boost just 
badly. And for for that, I I feel like Todd Munkin. I could just see him saying, "Well, you know what? The fans are going to blame Stetson if we lose this game anyway. Might as well give him a chance to win it." You know, like he came out just slinging on that next drive, and that's one of the things I talked about. I feel like that was kind of an under underlooked storyline of this game because of what Alabama's offense always is versus Georgia's defense was Georgia's offensive weapons versus Alabama's corners. Like we saw plenty of pass interferences in the SEC championship game where corners were just beat. We saw multiple ones here. We saw Pickens get a deep ball. We saw A.D. Mitchell just go up and make, I don't know, maybe the play of my lifetime (laughs) in, in Georgia football history. Like that was just incredible to go up and moss. Uh, the corner in the end zone like that. And, and that was a Stetson Bennett, just a flinging a slinging a 50 yard bomb, you know? So he made the plays that he had to make, but it, the, it was never going to be on Stetson Bennett. Like, and if it was, then that, that's the problem, you know, like you see Bryce Young with 57 pass attempts and you, I just assume anyone who has that many pass attempts probably lose, loses. But, but if it's Bryce Young, like maybe not, maybe he's that great that, he could will his team to victory with 57 passes. But seeing Stetson Bennett go 17 for 26, the the uh, the the key to the game was the rushing, uh, was Georgia winning the rushing battle. Like for, for Zeus and James Cook to just consistently, you know, rattle off six, seven yards against this defense. I guess more more white than Cook. Uh, Cook really just had the the one long run. But it was just it was inc- it was an incredible game. And you just knew Georgia had to play complimentary football like that. Like for the first what eight possessions of the game, the offense had six points and they were losing by three because of this defense. And this and that's another thing I pointed to before this game. I just I felt like I felt confident in saying Georgia's not gonna give up twenty-four points in a quarter again. Like this defense has just been so good all year. Like what we saw on December fourth in the SEC championship, that did not look like the twenty twenty one Georgia defense. What we saw last night in Indianapolis, that looked like the 2021 defense we'd seen all year. Hmm. That's fair. Um, what was your, what do you think you'll remember most about this game? Oh, I mean, I said A.D. Mitchell's play was, was the best play in Georgia football history until it was surpassed by <laughs> Keely Ringo. Like, yeah. I don't know if you you obviously remember the um, the SEC championship game um, versus Auburn when DeAndre Swift uh, Georgia was up twenty one seven and then DeAndre Swift broke that like seventy yard run um, to the house like I think there was still like ten minutes left in that game or so but it's like every Georgia fan knew like that's the exclamation point we just wrapped this up so to have like you know game on the line in the final minutes you're up by a touchdown facing the Heisman Trophy winner just like incredible drama and you end that with a with a 70 yard pick six where the guy didn't even have to go all the way he could he could have gone down you saw Kirby telling him to go down and for him to take it 75 yards was just like that was just the most amazing play in Georgia in my history of a Georgia football fan the the other time I can remember going that nuts was the blocked kick versus Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl is that kind of set up that that just the whole family went nuts like I just remember like picking up Tori and like like I did the same thing when on this Keely Ringo like everyone's just picking we just knew we won the national championship there with 50 seconds left in the game like it was just it was incredible and I even 
as the game's winding down, I even heard Tori pop a bottle of champagne with like 37 seconds left on the clock. I was like, hold on now. <laughs> we're, still, we're still Georgia here. Let's, uh, let's not rush anything. But um, obviously it all worked out. I like that. Um, that was cool. And you mentioned the Chase Owens podcast at all. Like, wow, so much content for, for the pod tomorrow. So much content. I'm, I'm glad I'm walking into it in a, on a happy note. Oh, without a doubt, man. There's um, there could have been a mention of Tennessee or two during the uh, during the game. <sighs> Georgia's just they've had to deal with that 1980 thing for a while. They've had to deal with it for a while. So there's there's so many programs that Georgia's been better than over the last 10, 20 years that can still flex that 1980 thing, and that. You know, Georgia fans, they learned to just let it roll off. But it, it stung that deep down because, you know, anyone that wasn't 40 years old had never seen their team win a national championship. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible, especially the, the same year the Braves get it done. That's just that's just what we do down here in the GA. We just we just win championships. I need you to stop this. I'm not <laughs> continuing this. I'm not allowing this. Um, oh, man. Uh you know, it's also funny when we talk about the defense, because that was something like, obviously, Georgia's defense is a lead and they just they did a great job um, in this game. But the story through three quarters was Will Anderson. And I just kept jotting down my notes. and I'm like, what are they rolling out for? Why do they keep trying this? Like Georgia's left tackle situation was dire. Um, that was something I was texting the family. I'm like, I don't think Georgia's offensive line can hold up. I think this well, game is going to lose in the trenches. It was actually the right guard. Mm-hmm. Warren Erickson. He was the one that got benched. So yeah. Jamari Sawyer started at left tackle all season. Well, no, Ben Jones went in there, didn't he? Ben Jones. Or Ben, who was it? The left tackle. You had someone in at left tackle, no, the saying, freshman. I'm the Broderick Jones. Broderick Jones, yeah. yeah. He's, he's like a five-star sophomore. He's played some this year because yeah. we've had some injuries. But yeah, you hadn't seen – people kind of talked about that all year, potentially seeing that lineup because Salyer was kind of recruited to be a guard, but he was just the best – the best Georgia kind of had at left tackle, kind of the guy you could trust the most, kind of the anchor of that offensive line. So I think that's why he's been left tackle all season. But I think Alabama was just kind of dominating uh, the interior of Georgia's offensive line yeah. early in that game. And I think that's why you saw Salyer go to right guard. And then Broderick Jones came in and he j- he was just getting burnt a couple times. Like Dallas Turner got him a couple times. Like, and and shout out to James Cook, especially on that on that game winning touch or the game going ahead touchdown to A. D. Mitchell. Like that play doesn't happen without James Cook's uh block, uh pass block in that play. Like he he made a an insane pass block on that play. Yeah. Um a lot of people though were also talking about like, oh, is this the changing of the guard? Saw a lot of pieces on that, um, folks watching at home. Nick Saban's not going anywhere unless that man retires. Alabama, if you look at their recruiting cycle, if you just think about Will Anderson and Dallas Turner on the edge next year, I mean, it's just there. I think they're already opened as betting favorites to win the title next year. Uh, Bryce Young's back. They'll be healthier. Like this was that was another part of this. And again, this is not to take away from Georgia. They did everything they were supposed to do. And they were the best team all season. This was a down year for Alabama. This was something that was supposed to be a uh forget about it year like a get right year get our guys in here get a year older for next year and we'll go in it next year um they were not planning i mean you go into every season hoping for a title but a winning back-to-back titles in college football is next to impossible 
also this was just not the same Alabama team even just a year ago it just wasn't like this was not the same team and they still almost did it like Bama is going nowhere the idea that it's changed all that's changed is you have another heavyweight in the room that you now know can deal those devastating blows and can alternate winning rings like this is a more stable version of LSU, right? Like the not the Ed Orgeron blips. Uh, this is something that has staying power, but like Bama and their operation is going nowhere. Like nothing is changing. If anything, they're going to be even better and more pissed off next year, right? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely wouldn't give it any kind of changing of the guard thing because we've seen how Alabama is still recruiting. Bryce Young is coming back. Like everything you said, like, they're going to have guys Elias Ricks coming in next year, like Jameer Gibbs coming in yep. next year. Like they're going to, they're, they're going to take advantage of the transfer portal, whatever they, whatever way they need to. But they also just, they have dudes everywhere. They're just, they're Alabama, but yeah. And that's why I think 2017, I think that was another, another reason that one stung so bad for Georgia fans because, because that was a beatable Bama team. Like that team wasn't nearly as dominant as some of the other teams we've seen from them. And so, for Georgia to have him on the ropes in that game and, and not be able to get it done really stung. And so this one, not only with just how how dominant Georgia's been, I mean, they had like, what, four or five common opponents. And, you know, that whole transitive property thing, we all know doesn't apply to, to college football. But when you play four or five different teams and one team's beating them all by about 28 points a game, the other one's beating them by about eight points a game, that that isn't nothing you know Georgia was a a better team all season long consistently throughout the year um and then to have you know some of the fortunate injury unfortunate injuries Alabama had late in the year um I I think definitely hurt them but you know Georgia was Georgia had as much injuries as just about anybody um uh to throughout this season but it seemed like by the time this the year ended they were they were basically healthy like you, you got you get something out of George Pickens, like he still didn't play a lot of snaps, but but um, you, you kind of got to see, and there's still some guys that that, that were unhealthy, but you, you finally got to see really what what George's offense was capable of. For sure, um, Kevin Clark had a really good piece in the ring. I don't know if you've read it yet, um, but he had a really good piece about this game. He was there covering it. Um, there's a quote uh, that I saw that I'm not sure if this actually came from the piece or I pulled that elsewhere, but it was from Kirby uh, a while ago. Quote, there's no coach out there that can outcoach recruiting. This is important. It's like as excited as you can get about any kind of coach and what kind of scheme they're running in X's and O's and this, that, and the other. And it's important for sure. But ultimately, college football is one uh, on the recruiting uh, front. That That's it. And when you break the record for recruiting spending a couple years back, then you're in a good position to eventually win a title. Like that's part of it is like you have the infrastructure, you hire the GMs, you hire the analysts, you bring in all the stuff that Saban did over a decade ago and you replicate it, but you also got to get the buy-in from management. He had an anecdote in there about like Dabo going to Clemson years ago and being like, uh, I need this, this, and this. And they're like, uh, why? And he was like, because Saban has it and Saban does it. So everyone's kind of just pivoted uh, to follow Saban on this front. Um, but in the piece, he said, uh, Kevin Clark, uh, is. I'm quoting him here, quote, it is simplistic and ridiculous to say that there was any torch passing. Smart lost to Saban last month. What George's win signaled is that these two programs will trade blows for years to come. And I think that's true. Do you agree with that sentiment? 
Yeah, I definitely think so. I, 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 I we can can we can we not learn from our lessons the people just speaking the the end of, declaring the end of the yeah. of the Bama dynasty like what was that back in 2015 after they lost to Ole Miss and I think they ended up winning the championship that year so um, yeah I don't think it's any kind of changing of the guard but I think psychologically I just think it's it's almost incalculable like how how big this is for Georgia like for one just. Kirby Smart, like I would have said Kirby Smart was the second best coach in college football before last night, personally. Like, you know, I don't I don't blame anyone putting Dabo ahead of him. He's got two championships, whatever. Other people, it's arguable. But I just, I didn't hinge on the results of one game to determine how good of a coach Kirby Smart is. Like, you've seen what he's building for, for, few, for a few years now. But to just, you know, if Nick Saban say he was a, hypothetically he was a coach for five more years won three more championships retired and kirby smart's 49 years old or something and kirby goes on to win two or three national championships in the next 20 years for georgia like that's awesome but there would have been you know a little something hanging over you he had to wait until nick saban retired and then he finally took the mantle right but for him to actually beat saban for georgia to be able to get that off their back like it's just huge. It's it's just this dark cloud that's not hanging over the program. And now you can kind of see what this program is truly capable of because like the this we've talked about people people have constantly said Georgia's a sleeping giant. I think it's a little disrespectful because it doesn't necessarily give Georgia credit for just how good they are. But, you know, there there's no there's no mistaking now. They're they're clearly awake and we, we've talked about all the, the natural advantages Georgia has just from being in the state that they're in and with the with the commitment their administration has to, to being great. So I think Kirby Smart's definitely got a sustainable – and even the, the games that Georgia was losing to, Kurt, to Nick Saban, like there was a lot of close games. So it's not like Georgia was just kind of, you know, getting scared every time they played against Alabama. They basically controlled – both of the first two matchups uh, that Kirby faced uh, Saban in 2017 and in 2018, but just ended up losing when the when the score when the clock was at triple zeros. So we saw a lot of close games, but Georgia just had to break through and and beat Bama and just get that get that monkey off their back. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, another thing he mentioned in the piece: uh, Georgia's had the number one class twice in the last four years. Um, he said, uh, quote, unsurprisingly, this concentration of talent has produced the two most stacked college rosters or stacked rosters in college football history, according to 247 Sports Talent Composite. And that's what we saw in Bama versus Georgia. This was a heavyweight by heavyweight fight, but Stetson Bennett clouded all of it. I don't think any of this happens if JT's there, right? No one looks at this as like an underdog or like a david and goliath situation i think that's literally all it is is this player this walk on this great story this former two-star from blackshire georgia surrounded by nothing but five stars and looking yeah, at it's like but how did he do chicago, it but think about the chicago cubs right like, mm-hmm. that was not any kind of underdog story javi baez you right. know rizzo chris that's a good Bryant. point they had they were just loaded with stars yep but it's still been a hundred years. True, it's, it's still a feel-good story. Like this was the team that could break through. It felt like, I like trust that. me, yeah. as a Georgia fan, it felt like the stars had to completely align for this to happen. You have your years where you have Todd Gurley and the offense is great and the defense isn't good. Then you have the years 2019 where the defense is the number one in the country 
and the offense is averaging 26 points a game or something like they were. Like it, so many times it seemed like you just couldn't time having a good defense with a good offense. And I know a lot of, you know, there's a lot to, to be said about Stetson Bennett or was said about Stetson Bennett this year. But this offense averaged like 40 points a game. Like this was a, a very good offense to go with just an absolutely ridiculous defense. And I think it would have honestly, it would have represented the entire season, like you said, if you just you gave defensive MVP to the entire unit. Because I think that's why the Jordan Davis Heisman hype never got completely off the ground. Green's a nose tackle who finished eighth in the Heisman voting. He also so. wasn't better than Will Anderson or Aiden Hutchinson. Hype. Yeah. He wasn't he better. Better than who? He wasn't better than Hutchinson or Will Anderson. No, but he didn't finish higher than either yeah. of them. Yeah. I'm saying, but the, one of the reasons it didn't get off the off the ground more was because Georgia's new, like, Nicobe Dean's probably better. Like, yes, I Trayvon was going to say that, yeah. might be better. Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, like, these are these are superstars. Lewis Seen just had a great game. Um, I don't know. Lewis Seen probably earned himself some money last night with his performance. So, it, it was just, it was such a team. Channing Tindall, another one, too, like, I don't remember the last time I saw a team with three inside linebackers drafted in, in one in one draft, but I think you're going to see Quay Walker, Dean, and Tyndall all go, and they could all be in the in the first two or three rounds. Honestly, I think Tyndall, Nakobe Dean's a surefire first round pick, but this defense, like I think early on, I, I want to say it was it was Brooks Austin. I remember seeing on Twitter. Uh, I think you know Brooks Austin, friend of the pod, been on here, yep. UGA stuff, mm. and he said like. I think one of the Georgia defenses back in the day, it could have been the 1981, they called it like the no-name defense. And there was, you know, because it's a team, you know, the the sum is greater, or the what is it, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts kind of thing. But I remember Brooks Austin saying, and that's totally disrespectful to this defense, to call them a no-name defense. Like, just tune back in in five to ten years, like we could be talking about some NFL superstars on this defense. And I think I think this team's loaded, so... And you're going to see maybe, like, George's probably going to set a record. I think they just set a record last year with, like, 10 guys drafted. They're probably going to get, like, 12 or so drafted this year. So this was a, this was a culmination of a lot of talent. So they, they're going to lose a lot from this extraordinary defense. So they, they needed to get this done tonight, in, in our, to, uh, this year, in 2021. If only they didn't have five stars and four stars waiting in the wings to replace them. If only. If only. That's true, but until, you're not getting a sob story for me done, on this. Until it's done, no one reloads like Alabama. We had like, Jeremy Banks and Aaron Beasley for the majority of this season. I don't want to hear any of this. <laughs> yeah, and that and I I love it just for Kirby Smart just to to finally really get the respect on on where he is on the national landscape because like think about where a lot of people were ranking him as a head coach. Like there's people that were saying coming into this season that he wasn't even a top 10 coach in college football. Like or at least a borderline top 10 coach. And basically everyone he's played he, <laughs> other than Saban he's undefeated against. Brian Kelly, Dabo Swinney, Lincoln Riley, like Jimbo Fisher, he's he's somewhere he's, in the top 4. I think he's got to be two on. I mean, I'll, I I'll give you I just think Georgia's in a lot better place than Clemson is right now. Mm. Dabo's when he can't take away what he's done. But I, I know I know not just as a Georgia fan, but I don't I wouldn't pick another coach in college football other than Nick Saban over over Kirby Smart. If I'm t- if I'm starting a program right now, because yeah, people might talk about the recruits, but like those are those those recruits, those four and five stars didn't just appear on the roster, right? Like that's Kirby Smart that got that town on the roster. And you hear so much of, 
oh, but what does he do with all those recruiting classes? Oh, yeah, the five stars are great, but what does he do with it? Well, the first number one overall class he had was just seniors, and they just won a national championship. And to be honest, that probably wasn't even really a number one class after a guy like Justin Fields transfers after it. I'm sure the numerical score would have gone down a little bit. But that was the first one that was ranked number one on signing day, and these guys were seniors, and some of them, you know, a few of them left early for the draft, but a lot of these guys, Jamari Sawyers, Amir White, Quay Walker, James Cook, like these guys were were the cornerstones of this team. Channing Tindall even. So this um, – Jordan, and, that, and that's why I was – you know, you heard some people saying like this was, this was like a must win. This was kind of like a if you're not going to beat Bama now, if not now, win type of thing. But I just – I never – felt that way just because recruiting is the lifeblood of this sport and if Georgia didn't win a championship like you said they're probably gonna have a loaded roster again next year probably a loaded roster again the year after that and and just be in a position to win it so but um it's definitely nice to go ahead and, and get that done I I just said like if, if college football is gonna change and be some crazy sport like NIL portal Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Conference or playoff expansion. Who knows? Like, George just needed to go ahead and get one before the sport got too crazy. Yeah, I uh, I don't disagree. Well, how do we put a bow on it, Matt Green? This is your celebration end of season toast. How would you like to put a bow on uh, this college football season that ended with your Georgia Bulldogs uh, walking out as champions? Well, I want to say this was a this was a great season. I think you were a class act throughout throughout the year. You know, Tennessee was a positive year, but there's a there's some negatives to go along with it. You guys still aren't aren't exactly where you want to be, but um, yeah, for us to come on this pod twice a week all season, it's been uh, some great talk. And uh, I, at times, I worry that I come off as a as a biased Georgia fan. <laughs> But I really felt like this team this year, they were just going to be loaded and they had what it took to win a national championship. So shout out to David Pollack for predicting Georgia to lose in the preseason to lose the uh, SEC championship but win the national championship. That's a pretty hot take right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, it was, a, it, was an, it was an amazing season and I, I feel like it's a, it's a justified result, right? Like we had 2007 that's so fondly remembered as like just the craziest college football season of all time. And then you had LSU beat Ohio state in the final, like to have like some crazy, you know, Renaissance season. I know to steal Josh Pate's term for just like a, you know, a a reemergence of, of defense, like all throughout college football defense clearly made a a big impact, a bigger impact on and on good college football teams than it has in recent years it's just been so much offense so in a year like that that had the craziness for it to end with Alabama winning it all just wouldn't do it justice so you got Georgia you know breaking the drought and um a a team that just had an extraordinary defense in a year that defenses were so dominant it was uh it was it was poetic justice there you go Matt Green we can follow you on Twitter Matt underscore W underscore Green Follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. Thank you for a great season uh, with college football. It's been a lot of fun. We'll keep doing these pods once a week uh, with all kinds of off-season analysis and 
this is a year-round sport now. There will be stuff to talk about throughout the year. Uh, uh, we can just go back to old games, all that kind of good stuff. But there will be content. There will be college football for you and I to discuss on a weekly basis this offseason. But this is a blast. I'm going to miss it. Uh, football is behind us, uh, college football at least. But this was this was fun. Uh, I I very much appreciate you doing these with me every week um it's it's fun it's a lot of work but i think it's good it's caught on and a lot of folks uh tap in for our college football analysis so those folks if you've not left a five-star rating interview on apple Podcasts or spotify make sure you go ahead and do so uh after listening to this part of the episode but thank you as always my friend and uh i will talk to you very soon no sir no doubt sir and i i have one last thing to leave you with sir. okay i'm ready do you know who's that coming down the track? Because I believe it's a mean machine in red and black. And there ain't nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. 2021 out. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by David Locke of the Locked On Podcast Network and the radio host of the Utah Jazz. David, good evening, sir. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here, man. Um, I want to start with the Utah Jazz. I, um, I'm curious about this team because the Western Conference to this point, David, has been dominated uh, especially with Clay's return with Golden State and how they've come out of the gate strong, and then Phoenix just going on their run like they did early on. But the Jazz are just, they're hanging around. They were my uh, preseason NBA Finals pick. Um, Donovan Mitchell uh, talked about the defense this week with Rudy Gobert out, but they're number three in the Western Conference as of this recording. They're still. Um, they're still rolling. What do you what do you make of the Utah Jazz to this point in the season? I think they're very much what we expected them to be. Obviously, COVID's running through us right now, and so that changes. You know, without Rudy, um, we're not we're not quite the same team. And maybe you know, without Rudy, how we've played the two games, three games without Rudy or four games without Rudy, people will uh, begin to understand uh, his value. Uh, because really the whole thing is predicated on him, uh, but I think they've you know they're, they've they didn't shoot it well to start. Then they shot it amazingly for a while. They had uh, an offense was actually historically great. Um, it's cooled down a tiny bit defensively. They have not been as good as they were a year ago when they were the number one offense in the league. Um, they're assimilating Rudy Gay for some more defensive versatility and offensive versatility they've never had before. So I think they're you know they're an elite level work in progress. How's that? Yeah, well, they are they are a work in progress, but there's just so many veterans. It's a lot of guys who there's not like Mike Conley being healthy helps, but by and large, it's the same kind of group, right? Like who still do you see like outside of Adam Mitchell continue to become more and more of a superstar, but like getting Gobert back will obviously help and fix a lot of these problems. But do you see any like any younger players or anyone else on this roster who has not blossomed or just taking the next step in their game? Do you see anyone making that jump midseason? No, because I don't think on good teams that happens. I mean, Golden State's unique that they have Kaminga Moody and Wiseman. But the reason Golden State's winning is they don't play Kaminga Moody and Wiseman. 
Like I missed really, really badly my preseason prediction on Golden State, but that's because I had them playing young players. Um, good teams don't play young players very often, so it's a pretty rare thing. Um, it's happened in Atlanta where Trey Young and and that group has kind of matured in at one time. That's unique. Um, you know, the two guys we have that get better are Donovan and Rudy, and both of them are much better this year. But Boyan Bogdanovich is pretty well established. Joe Ingles is established. Royce O'Neal is established. Jordan Clarkson's established. Rudy Gay is certainly not going to be better at 36 years old. So Mike Conley's actually having a career year, but that's not a young player that's maturing. So, you know, good teams don't usually play young players. Do you think the Jazz ultimately, with the roster that they have, they can catch the Suns and the Warriors? Depends how long COVID lasts. Um, you know, if Rudy comes back quickly and they only go, they only they play five games without him, and it doesn't rip up them apart and cost them games. I think that's just such a part of this whole season. It's really hard to tell on anything until you know the answer to how badly teams are being hit or not hit. I mean, Charlotte was kind of rolling, and then they got and they got crushed. Um, and you, you know, and then the the last thing after effect, both of what COVID for some players, but also that a bunch of guys suddenly play way too many minutes, and then they're exhausted. We had an interesting one where Eric Pascal hadn't had been out with the birth of his child, and we went to Toronto. We didn't take our players to Toronto, and he played about forty minutes. And the next night, we had a back to back. He looked like he couldn't move. Right, he'd been out. He'd been out for two weeks. We suddenly needed him for a few minutes, and he didn't have it. Like he, he just like understandably. So there's. There's kind of a, a, a lingering impact here on when these teams get struck by COVID and the spread of just then who's exhausted when it's over, what players were asked to do too much, and then how do you how do you for, reform your team? Um, you know, Phoenix had a dog the other night. They had a bad game. Uh, I think Golden State actually had a bad one the other night um, before Clay came back. So I think we're in that type of the season where things are going to slip. Uh, the Jazz have lost some games they're going to regret. They lost at Detroit. They lost at Orlando. Those are hard to catch people when you have those in your system. The hardest part about calling an NBA game on the radio that fans would be surprised by is what? Well, that's an interesting question. I, uh, I don't know if it would be hard, but the, the speed is incredible. Mm. So if you're at all off, you're just making a fool of yourself constantly. <laughs> like... I mean, there's nights where you're just not right, right? Like, mm. different than the players, you're tired or you're off or something's distracting you or something in your world's not quite – it's a, it's a mess. Um, so that's probably it. It's just you have to have two and a half hours of just unbelievable attention to detail and and not be distracted by what's anything that's taking place or else you'll just absolutely fall flat on your face. Um, I'd say the other thing is if you're passionate, and I am, and, you know, I grew up a jazz fan – and love the jazz like that doesn't actually work that well as a play-by-play announcer hmm. i mean it's definitely a part of my call and you know but it's always something i gotta pull back um because you know frankly i'm watching the game the same way everybody else is sometimes like what the hell was that mm-hmm. well that's not gonna be a really good call in the middle of a broadcast but i mean i come close every now and then do you think what what, what is one of the things that you struggle with early on that you feel like you've you've mastered to this point uh, I have not mastered anything in the craft, um, so I will not answer that question in that fa- fashion. Um, I really love to research. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of doing play-by-play is to prep um, and kind of guess what the game's going to be. And early in my career, I tried to prove to you how well-prepared I was the whole broadcast mm-hmm. rather than allowing it to come to me when it's necessary. 
Um, it was actually interesting. I was listening to Vin Scully's final broadcast, the greatest announcer ever, and I learned a ton even on that night. I don't remember who the pitcher was, but he was a kind of erratic, um, inconsistent pitcher. And in the first inning, Vin Scully said, so-and-so's on the mound. He's like the curly-haired girl in third grade. When she's good, she's good. She's When she's bad, she's bad. I was like, okay. Like, that's pretty great. Like, hmm. Scully's the best ever. Like, second inning, the pitcher's pitching. He goes, first time we played him, he went two-thirds of an inning. Or, no, first time we faced him, he went at a no-hitter for eight and a third. And the next time, he was out by the end of two-thirds of an inning. Like, oh, okay, there's another way to tell me. The same thing you told me in the first inning. And then in the third inning, he was like, you know, so-and-so on the mound. And, like, he's had six starts this year. have gone seven-plus. He's had six starts this year. They've gone three or fewer. I was like, oh, like he just held the information and worked it throughout the broadcast. So um, that was a great lesson that night. Um, I, so that's why the greats are the greats. On his last night, he was still teaching the rest of us how to do it correctly. And so I, um, uh, you know, so I, I, I learned on that. I've tried to integrate that, have my notes for um, I've reduced my prep a great deal, too, I would say. Like the amount of prep I had on every player was outrageous to start. Now I'm down to three items a night. Like just what are the three things you're going to talk about about Trey Young tonight? Like and not more. Like, well, I'm okay with you going more on Trey. You I can, know, you can go three to five. It's bad broadcasting. Six, seven, eight. The other thing is radio yeah. turns over. Radio listeners turn over. So I've had the one I did this year. I, I hate to tell this story because it tells you what a loser I am. But we had a Friday night. Um, and the reason it's a loser is because it's a Friday night in Miami. And I went out for dinner with two of our coaches and had an unbelievable meal um, and got back. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know what? It was like it was early. Um, so it was like 830. I was like, wait a second. Well, I'm on the East Coast. I can actually grab, you know, sat, it, was a, it was a Friday night. There, I, I can actually listen to probably every broadcast in the NBA tonight. You know, there's probably 26 teams playing on a Friday night in the NBA out of 30. Mm-hmm. So I actually sat there for the night in, you know, Friday night in Miami. What a loser. I'm 51. I have two kids and married, though. So it's like I'm not killing South Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to about five to eight minutes of every broadcast in the league. Um, and my critique of our league was that we have – we perform our job with way too much assumed knowledge. Hmm. So that has changed my call dramatically this year. So there's a lot more um, Trey Young to the front court, um, the, the Hawks' leading scorer. Um, there's a lot more of like I'll always take a moment in the first quarter, and I use it again in the third. You know, the Hawks on a given night, Young takes 19 shots, Bogdanovich takes 14, Hunter takes 11, Capella gets eight. That's what you should expect tonight kind of idea. Like set up who, you know, Trey Young, their leading scorer. Like, oh, like most people know he's like, but maybe they don't. Like if you're a Jazz fan, maybe you don't really know who Trey Young is that much. But even by just saying Trey Young, you're the leading scorer, um, you are telling a story in that possession. Like, oh, that's the guy they got to worry about. So I think that's been a really nice change this year. I think it's made our broadcast way better. 
That's interesting. Um, the assumed knowledge part, especially, is that like I because it seems like there's more of a push now, um, and like there's just so much great NBA analysis. Um, I mean, just the stuff I learned just from David Thorpe pieces alone on True Hoop. But like, I I do wonder if more and more fans prefer just as like that kind of knowledge and that kind of just scene setting and just explaining as much to them as possible. So like you talked about being prepared, but also like. Are you have you found that jazz fans when you when you interact with them they want more of like okay they're gonna th- do this this is what they're more susceptible to and pick drop coverage like is that more and more what fans want and has what fans like the fan appetite has that changed over the years I, I don't think that's what most fans want I think that's what some fans want mm-hmm. um, and we do that like our broadcast is really heavily detailed we get the scouting report we get into it we do we. We do that a, at a, a much higher level than probably any other radio broadcast in the league, and we're way more analytically based than any other radio broadcast. Maybe Tim Roy and Al Horton, Golden State, and um, Sean Grande's really well prepared, but does a little differently in Boston. But so, you know, it, it, maybe he is as well. Um, he's the best there is in the league, so um, I don't want to like discredit Sean. Um, that team between him and Cedric is is un, is the most enjoyable to listen to. Hmm. So I, um, you know, I mean, we do that when we're very detailed. I mean, I, I, like I'm telling you, what the guy's percentage is on catch and shoot versus off the bounce three every night. Like I prep that every night. I have that, and you know, and I'm telling you, like, all right, expect Trey Young, Clint Capella, fourteen pick. You know, another t- another like the same concept, right? Vin Scully. How do I tell the same story again later? You know, early in the first quarter, I'll usually be like, "Okay, expect tonight about 14 Trey Young, Clint Capella pick and rolls. You'll see about 10 Trey Young, um, Alex Len pick and rolls, and your next, you know, and the next DeAndre Hunter will run five. Uh, as but it's really exclusively Trey Young. So like, the Jazz have had some success with Trey Young by trapping him in the backcourt, and then he he doesn't always go get the ball again. Like if he has a weakness, is he doesn't have that off ball Steph aspect where he goes and gets the ball in the same way that Steph does yet, and so, like, that's important. Like, oh, wait a sec. Like, hey, Trey Young is not running his pick and roll tonight. Like, he's not getting into it. Like, oh, okay. We talked earlier tonight. We told you he was going to get 16 tonight. Like, he's not getting those. So, like, th- that's an interesting little note to that, I think, um, on how that happens. Um, shoot, you had something else. I mean, I'll talk to Kraft forever. I love the Kraft. I loved it more this year than ever before after being stripped of it last year because of COVID. Um, I love the Kraft. I'll dig into the Kraft and bore everyone to death. Um <laughs> I'm a little extra in everything I do, and so I'm extra in my prep and extra in how I think about the craft and every night and what I'm trying to do. And um, and and I think you know, COVID was by far, from a broadcasting standpoint, and still is because we're not traveling right now. You know, really unpleasant and awful. And um, you know, other people have had worse things happen to them, but I, I don't enjoy calling games off of television. It's the first time I've ever not liked doing part of my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but has in the other nights, it's made me a million times better broadcaster because it reminded me of all the things I have at my repertoire that I was on that I'm unable to use. Do you know what the future is there on that front? Uh, we've been told we'll go back on the road, but we'll see. Okay. Um, who is the funniest member of the jazz that you you very much enjoy talking to the most right now? Hmm. Well, George Niang was. Mm-hmm. He's the best. Like everyone's talking about Philadelphia's chemistry because oh, and, and everyone Philadelphia talks about how great their chemistry is, and everyone's like, oh, well, that means Ben Simmons is gone. It's actually because George Niang's there, not because Ben Simmons. I'm t- I'm 100 percent serious. What about him? What what is it about? He's him? He's just that special. He's just got it. 
He's just got. He makes everyone around him feel special. He makes everyone else feel important. He make, brings up energy. He's always in a great mood. He's really competitive at the same time. So it's not like he's just a goofball. Um, but he 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 makes everyone around them him in a better mood, and he treats every single person the exact same. Outside of the Jazz, who have you found yourself watching a lot as of late? I had a little Charlotte thing going for a while. Right mm-hmm. now, if anyone doesn't have a jaw thing going, they're not paying attention. Um, I love small markets taking over. Um, you know, I I like to watch the Lakers lose a lot, um, but it does seem as every time I watch, they play better. So I've had to stop because I'd rather have them lose. Um, the Kings are such a dumpster fire that I find myself watching them a little bit, actually, trying to mm-hmm. figure out why it's not working. I mean, I think sometimes I'm as interested in why it's not working as it is. Like, the Kings should be better. So why they're older, not, yeah. They're sneaky older than most people think. Right. So why is that not working? Like what's like, you know, De'Aaron's not shooting well. So yeah, I mean, there's some reasons why, but um, um, so um, that's telling. Um, what else? Who else do I like to watch? I mean, Phoenix is great right now. I do, you know what? Like I, I do watch LeBron every time I can. The mm-hmm. same way I used to watch Jordan every single time I could, because you. It's going to end, I think, at some point. It's hard to believe it might end the way he's playing. But I do think it'll end at some point in time. And so then if it does end, you certainly want to have taken it in because what we're watching right now is really astronomically amazing. And he, I find him really hard to root against. So it's a bummer that he plays for the Lakers because I really like to watch the Lakers lose. This has to be it with him transforming to the center. Like, this is it. He can't move. He can't slide down the, yeah, <laughs> the rotation anymore. This is it. I always thought he would. I, I've always thought he's the same size as Carl Malone. That's wild. So I always thought he'd finish his career as Carl Malone. Like that would and so this is maybe it. We're maybe we're maybe this is actually it. That he's this is it. Like he's kind of done that. That makes sense. I mean, that's not a bad way to to wrap things up there and it's uh, it's it's wild. Um he we will miss him all uh when when he's gone, but um that's interesting because like i'm a a a team a week person we're like outside of the hawks um Mm. who have just been just just a a real struggle to get through these hawks games of late um and i can't wait to see what happens at the trade deadline this is it's pretty wild uh what's going on in atlanta at the moment but um carlin gay of nba.com he put me on this of just like because i would get overwhelmed i don't know if you've ever felt like this where you have your team that you have to watch everything and be on top of but also you want to have a good idea of the league you don't just want to parrot what you hear on nba podcasts or whatever you want to be able to form your own opinions and have your own perspectives and part of that is like there's just only so much time in the day so you're like okay how do i make the most efficient use of my nba watching and for me, uh, what I do now, thanks to Carlin, is just that, like, just pick a team a week and you just stay with that team like oh, you're a beat writer for the week. And you get a good sense of where they're at. And you are like, I know what's going on with the Raptors right now because I watched four of their games this week. But the idea of doing a little bit of everybody, you don't get a clear picture. So I don't get a chance to because I'm preparing for a game. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we played last night and then today I did my stuff and tonight I'll prepare for Cleveland. Um, so I, there's no way to do it. So I'll watch Cleveland. And and then I'll watch Cleveland, and depending who Cleveland's played recently that maybe we're about to play, then I'll try to see if I can watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch less, not traveling. Huh. So Ron Boone, my broadcast partner, former ABA star, 75 years old, still works incredibly hard and is amazing. And so we watch every plane flight. We watch NBA. 
So if we have a game, if we're playing an opponent we want to watch, we'll watch that. If there was a great game the night before that we missed, I download that and we watch that. So we sit in the back of the plane and watch NBA every night. Now they're not traveling, we don't have that time together, so we don't watch as much. Do you all have a back and forth or is it pretty quiet? Um, well, I never shut up. So. <laughs> so I don't See, I'm a quiet. Like, I'm a note taker. Someone's talking. Ron's been known to put his headphones on <laughs> and not plug them into anything just to get me to shut up and stop talking. <laughs> That's how I am when I'm at the grocery store. I don't, right. uh, I don't like strangers coming up to me and talking to me. It's, it's a good thing. Uh, most people will leave you alone if you got some AirPods in. Let's go. Um, one of the last things we'll, we'll touch on before we wrap up here tonight. Um, when you look at the trade market and you look at the trade deadline and you hear the, the Ben Simmons rumblings with Atlanta and the Jalen Brown's future and whether or not Boston will split up their guys, who, who interests you the most around the league? Who are you most fascinated to see what they, what they do ahead of the trade deadline? What, uh, what primers have you seen that you're like, you know, I'm really curious to see how they, they approach this deadline. I think Dallas is interesting because they're still trying to form that team and they have a new front office and they have a master star in the middle of with Luca. So I think that's that's a su- interesting one because I think it has long term lasting impact. Um, does Golden State put all the chips in and move one of their three young kids? I, I think that would actually be really smart. Um, you know, I don't know that Wiseman's ever going to help you win. Um, so I, I think that would be an interesting. And I don't know. You know, the problem Golden State has, if they're good for three years, they have to make a big money decision on those players before they ever see them play. So in that sense, I actually think they're better off moving them. If that does that is it, everybody follow that one? Like I got it. Yeah. Because there's no route for them to play. It's going to be too hard for them to evaluate what, how much they should pay them. So you're actually better off getting something for them now. Oh, it's Reddish and Hunter with Atlanta for sure. It's the same situation where the timelines right. don't match up. Timelines are they're a pain and they're really, really hard to thread that needle. Um, so that one's interesting to me over in the east. Um, I You know, I don't know if I just said I think I said this out loud. I thought it. So I think Ben Simmons is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people have, like, just gone way too far the other way on this. You know, Ben Simmons got himself in a box with his relationship with Joel and Doc, and Doc had an awful, the worst press conference I've ever seen by a coach ever. Um, and, you know, he said he's not going to play for you anymore. And they got a box, and they, everyone screwed it up. Ben, you, you can say Ben screwed it up. You can say Doc screwed it up. You can say Daryl Moore. Everyone screwed this up. But somehow everybody decided that Ben Simmons couldn't play, and that's insane. Because he can play, like he's a one, in a, he's a top ten talent in the league. Has he got some issues? Sure. So love him. Like when he comes, love him, and see how he reacts. Because he got everything but that in Philadelphia. The passing with Trey and Ben. Um, when talking to Atlanta friends about it, I'm like, I don't think you guys understand just how dominant like, those two would be um, sharing the floor with one another. I actually think that'd be a pretty seamless fit. But it would require Collins being a part of that deal. You can't, you can't go well, with Simmons, Collins, and Capella late. Capella at some point there too, because I'm not sure you can play the Capella and Simmons together. Well, that works because Nyeka and Kongwu is great, and uh, he's the future at the five. So, I mean, I don't know if he's ready for that kind of responsibility, but I don't know. I, I would not overthink Simmons in Atlanta just because there will come a tipping point, and you see this a little bit in Utah, right, where. You have your one top 15 guy, but you have to see, like, if there's an avenue to pair Donovan Mitchell with another top 15 guy or someone else that we just already, raised We have him. another top 15 guy. Who's the other top 15 guy? Rudy Gobert. Okay. Like, if people don't have this understanding yet, I can't mm. help them. 
So top 15. If people don't understand yeah. Rudy Gobert's impact on winning, we just lost to Detroit mm-hmm. without Rudy Gobert. They outscored the Jazz 92-60 to 60 in the final 30 minutes of the game. It's not good. The Jazz won 52-20 and 20 last year with Rudy Gobert. The Utah Jazz have the best record until this little losing streak when Rudy wasn't there. The Utah Jazz have the best record in the NBA since 2016-17. There's only one guy, Anjo Ingles, that's been on the roster the whole time. That's wild. He's the most, he might be the most impactful player in the NBA. I like it. Um, well, this has been great. Thank you so much for making the time, David. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we can listen to you on the Utah Jazz Radio Network. This is uh, this is cool. Uh, I'm very excited that we were able to make this happen. A uh, long time coming, but thank you so much for the time, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to plug as we wrap up here this evening? That's all good. Tune in to your Locked On podcast for your favorite teams. Locked On podcast has one for every single team, so tune in 30 minutes daily there for you. Your team every day. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. And I am now joined by a first timer down there in Tifton, Georgia, Tiff County head football coach, Mr. Noel Dean. Coach Dean, how are you? I'm doing great. Chase, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, how is the off season treating you thus far? Uh, it's been pretty good. I mean, we uh, our kids have we're we're we've got to work, and that's uh, that's been great. Uh, I got to see my family. The they all came down here for Christmas for a couple weeks, and so I you know on and off depending on what kid you were and what time you had free. And then you know my wife got to spend two weeks down here too, so that was kind of nice. And so it's really good. So how, you? how was your, uh, how was my Christmas? It was good. I uh, went back home to Atlanta. I'm up here in Knoxville, uh, grad okay. school here at UTK, but I was able to go back uh, to Atlanta. So it was nice. Um, it was a nice, uh, nice Christmas and nice normal one. Cause I was actually snowed in blizzard end, uh, in 2020 Knoxville got like a bad blizzard. So I actually couldn't go home for the holiday. So that was my first Christmas, uh, without family. So that was, that's pretty wild. So being grateful and being thankful for, the little things like that you uh you come to miss on days like that in 2020 yeah sure sure makes sense i spent the uh new year's eve with my youngest son delayed one day at my second son's apartment and he was gone uh on the belt line there and uh, you know out man over there mm-hmm. in edgewoods kind Very of interesting cool. area for uh 50 year old guy and a 19 year old boy to be hanging out together at so <laughs> Edgewood's fun though. I uh, I lived in Virginia Highlands for a number of years uh, in in downtown Atlanta before coming up here to Knoxville. So I'm familiar with that all that area and Atlanta, and I miss it sometimes. What is the what is the biggest difference between uh, Tifton, Georgia, and anywhere else you've been previously? Well, I haven't been to a lot of places, so <laughs> probably just the the weather. You know, I my last stop I was 25 years and in western michigan Mm -hmm. and uh so i'm just coming up on a year here in tifton georgia very similar uh communities in the farming aspect and and you know kind of a rural uh setting but uh um the the weather is a little different you know to me i'm not dealing with snow and all that business so uh it's you know football's football do you miss the snow at all no not at all (laughs) 
<laughs> not even a little bit. Um, no, what what no. is the coolest coolest uh, aspect of Tifton, Georgia? What have you driven through and b- being there for a year now? What have you really come to uh, know and appreciate about the town? Uh, the people. Uh, I really do. I really enjoy the people. Uh, there's a lot of very caring and loving uh, adults that uh, want to help kids uh, succeed. So I, I really, really enjoy that. Do you, you asked me the question about Christmas and the holidays, but do you, with your family um, now, years ago, did you have any Christmas, New Year's holiday traditions? Oh yeah, we have plenty of them. Okay. Uh, you know, the live, uh, we, you know, going out to the Christmas tree farms and, and, and harvesting our own Christmas tree and then uh, bringing that back. And then, uh, you know, uh, Christmas Eve mass was always really big. And we'd come home and make uh, homemade pizzas. And, uh, you know, we'd make, the, we'd make the dough earlier in the day and let it rise. And we'd, and we'd make our own homemade pizzas. And then uh, everybody got to open one gift the night before and then we got the bed for Santa and then, you know, we get up in the morning, open gifts and then I'd cook a big breakfast. So they always kind of built around, uh, family food and, uh, you know, and, and faith. So, uh, not football, believe it or not. <laughs> what kind of, what kind of toppings are we talking about here? When you're doing homemade, what are we, what are we working with? Uh, so everybody gets to pick their own toppings. Um, I'm kind of like a, I, I got an anchovy deal. Oh, so, uh, anchovies, jalapeno, hot peppers, uh, every meat you can imagine, chorizo. To, so, uh, you know, I have a, one of my kids likes to make his with buffalo. So I like pesto sauce. He likes making a buffalo sauce with, uh, he found out this year Zaxby's. We don't have a Zaxby's up north, so he he cut up Zaxby's chicken and put it on his pizza. So <laughs> we're all across the board: little red onion, little white onion, mushrooms, you name it, man. Everybody's got, and that's part of the fun is preparing them all. And, and then we have a little pizza oven we make them in out on uh, out on the porch. So okay, um, how much did you know about Tips in Georgia before you arrived? Uh, well, I researched a lot of it mm-hmm. before I arrived, but I, I, you know, I've never been here. I've driven through it. I remember stopping at Adcox Pecans, uh, you know, when we were traveling south on, on, on you know, spring break trips and, and, and so forth. So, but that, that was outside of what, you know, you can find on, on the internet, not much, I guess. So did you not visit uh, in person before taking the job? No, I did. I spent okay. uh, two days, uh, two separate full value. My wife and I drove down between the holidays a year ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we spent two days here. And then uh, I came back about the second week of January, and then uh, and then I was offered a job, and then I, I came back and took the job and then uh, I went home for a week and then I came back. Uh, I moved, moved down February 7th and, uh, you know, kind of almost coming up on a year. So, uh, you know, excited about, you know, turning the new year over and knowing that uh, Jill is going to move down here in June. And, uh, you know, but I'm really excited about the things that are happening, the progress in the program. And uh, it, it makes it, it makes it a lot more fun when you're doing it for all the right reasons. So what are some of those uh, progress points that you're seeing and that you're, you're excited about in the short term? Uh, I think the understanding of, 
of uh, uh, selflessness, uh, uh, the understanding of, uh, you know, strong character, uh, you know, accountability, those kinds of things uh, that make us uh, better people. You know, uh, we talk about wanting better, but are we willing to be better to have better? And, uh, and those are, those are, those are big things, you know, and so, uh, we can't be full of lip service, uh, and we can't, we, we've got to show because of what we do, our actions, you know, uh, uh, our actions are really, you know, who we are, you know, so, uh, you know, what we seek is, uh, seeking you, you know, mm-hmm. so. I have a roomy quote I love uh, way back when. So, what is your go-to quote? What is your favorite quote to cite? I'm not here to validate excuses. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, do you ever cite uh, Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights at all? I don't. Um, I don't really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, a lot of people think that my wife and I are. Uh, kind of the the real life version of that. So um, I I think that's a good thing because I think he, you know he's you know uh, I, I'll take that as the compliment. You know, so it's definitely a compliment. He has a universal approval rating. Uh, he's yeah. he's one of the rare ones, uh, and I I love that show and the book and everything. But he has one quote that always sticks with me. Um, stay away from dumb gentlemen. That's a, that's a good one. It's a good life advice, especially when you're younger. Yeah, no, I, well, I don't coach stupid is what I always say. There you I can't go. Coach, I can't coach stupid. So, you know, everybody's got choices they got to make and I just won't coach stupid. Yeah. So, I like stay that. Stay away from them. That's good. <laughs> um, in terms of actual on the field, uh, the on the field product uh, this past fall, um, what will you remember most, Coach, about this past season? Um, I will remember uh, the most. I, I think the idea of building uh, unconditional love and un, un, an unconditional uh, trust. Um, you know, I, the thing that I learned from that is, is you know, that's, that's done over time. It's not done in the short term. So, uh, but I appreciate the kids this year that, you know, bought in the best that they could, you know, uh, uh, talking about a Maya Angelou quote, uh, earlier today, you know, um, you know, the idea of when I did better, you know, uh, when I knew better, I did better. And, uh, that was something we kind of talked about a lot this year. And, uh, and that, that happened. Uh, it could have been a lot better, you know. We kind of fought ourselves at times and, and, and fought our, our community and people that weighed in on certain aspects of what we did because uh, they don't have the information and they're fans and they, you know, they're just, you know, maybe uh, not as, uh, you know, they don't, they don't understand all of the variables that go into young kids trying to play a football game at a high level. Uh, but they fought through it and we had a winning season, which was big because we hadn't had one of those in a couple of years. And, uh, that, that helps. 
uh, and winning a region game for the first time in exactly 1,100 days to the day that we beat Camden was a big was a big win for our guys. What happened in the Camden game? We won. Oh, I know you won, but how? Uh, and I don't mean that. Like, I just I'm genuinely curious uh, as someone who did not see the game. How did uh, you take care of business in region play against Camden? Oh, we we were leaning on a pretty strong defense all year, and they played fairly well. And mm-hmm. uh, we moved a senior uh, in the quarterback a couple weeks earlier. Had not really played a lot of quarterback. Um, and you know that was. Part of the problem is not having uh, the ability to uh, develop quarterbacks over time. I kind of came into an uh, a program that didn't really have a quarterback mm-hmm. per se, and uh, you know after the Valdosta game, we made a change, and uh, kid by the name of Jackson Strickland, and he had you know he played really well. He you know he gave us a lot of opportunity in the last four weeks to win games and uh, and, and manufacture some offense, and uh, that's what we did. You know, we, our kids played played well. I was impressed. What is the biggest difference playing quarterback in your system versus other systems uh, that you've seen uh, across? Like, if you had to guess, if, like your quarterback right now, if you had to articulate what's different about playing for you in your scheme, what do you think it is? Uh, well, I, I think there are a lot of in-play decisions they have to make as opposed to pre-play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we run a lot of option-based schemes and then, you know, option-based passing game and that kind of a thing. You know, I was really big on the uh, a running a running back who could throw kind of quarterback way mm. back back in the late 1990s, and uh, and I've I've always kind of had that. Usually, the toughest one of the toughest kids, most athletic kids on our team, that uh, is pretty savvy. So uh, you know, you just kind of have all those, and you know, the playing experience and being groomed is is all part of that. So. In fairness to the kids that we were asking to do stuff, you know, we we you know we we lost all of spring ball. Uh, uh, we didn't get that done at spring ball, and then uh, you know we had the summer to try to make up for it, and then you're just you know doing the best you can with what you have. And right now we got we got three or four guys really working hard at it, so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Were you able to get everything installed that you want to get installed? Oh, not even close. No, we're, <laughs> we're, we're 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 you know we're we, you know, I, this is a work in progress, right? So mm-hmm. I, I uh, you know, you know, we may take two steps forward, one step back and that kind of a thing. And that's going to happen these first couple of years. But uh, I, I see a strong, I, I, I see a strong, uh, you know, when it tips, when it begins to go, it's going to go. And it's, and it's going to be a, a runaway freight train. It's going to be awesome. What were you most proud about uh, your team this year? Well, it's hard saying. There's a lot of things there, but I, I guess I'm really proud of the fact that uh, the way they competed, you know, right to the end, you know, uh, in every game, win or lose, they, they they hit. They they didn't mind hitting folks, and they they were very competitive. So, okay, I like that. Um, is there one game in particular that you've watched the film back on Sunday, and you're just looking at it, and you were like, man? I really wish I could get that one back because I think if I had gotten a do-over, it would have been a totally different result. 
No, I don't really try to, I mean, because you're just dealing with regret at that point in time, mm. and then regret brings resentment, and then you just, you just, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think that we're in a story that that uh, unfolds as you go, and, uh, you know, it's hard, hard saying, you know, you know, when you, you know, if, ifs and buts were, you know, uh, I try not to think in those terms. I mean, you know, I feel like the team is pretty solid. If maybe I could have been here a couple of years ago, uh, the defense is so strong and Mike West has done such an amazing job with those guys that, uh, if we could have generated some offense, we would have certainly had, uh, a real opportunity to be a really, really tough out. But, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I think a lot of where we were as we are emotional IQ in some moments ha- has to be a lot stronger, but, uh, that comes from work and that comes from vesting ourselves and putting in time that we, we don't want to just throw in a garbage can. Mostly kids that, uh, haven't, been in a structured, disciplined environment are the ones that really don't have a lot to lose when things are on the line because uh, they haven't vested enough and they don't have an understanding of uh, of deeper uh, uh, love and team values and, and those kinds of things for each other. And it's not necessarily the kids' fault. Uh, you know, on the surface it is. Everybody wants to say that. But in reality, it's the adults that are mentoring and, and building the process and which these kids need to go through so that they can learn and be nurtured about uh, those kinds of values that uh, if they compete harder in tough times as opposed to uh, become an emotional wreck. And, uh, and those are the things that I, I would like to see in place here sooner than later. And, and that's happening as we, you know, as we go through what we're doing in the off season and weight room and leadership classes and, and, and community service projects and mentoring younger kids and all of those are growth patterns and and it and it connects us to a greater good and that's that's the that connectivity is very very important with young kids when it comes to competition what uh community projects that do y'all have on the docket this year um well we have uh, uh we we read to our elementary kids that's a big very one cool. that i i've been did uh, I've always done them. So we're going out to the elementaries. Uh, our kids are going to be coaching a flag football league in the month of March. And they'll be the actual quarterbacks for uh, the younger kids, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, we are supplying veterans uh, in and around Tiff County uh, awesome. that have need for house ramps. Uh, we're going to go and install ramps so they can get into their house with their wheelchairs and their and their scooters. Um, I mean, we have, I'm, I'm missing some, but, uh, we're, we're going to stay busy and we're going to do, uh, uh, do some things for other folks. That's awesome. Um, well, you brought up reading and that you just read to some elementary kids. What do you like to read personally? Um, I, I, I'm pretty eclectic, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, fiction. Nonfiction. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't know. I, I a lot of uh, I like reading Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, I like some of his thoughts and ideas. What I like, not that I believe or everything he has to say, but he is pretty thought-provoking, right? And so uh, that that's that's big uh, for me. I like uh, inspirational stories. I like uh, biographies, uh, you know, of, of some solid folks. So you know, I'm kind of all over and uh, the place, and uh, you know, I don't know. That's uh, yeah. I, it, it would be hard telling you, but I, I do like to read. And my 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 kids, you know, we used to read to our children all the time, uh, a lot. I feel like that's kind of where you know, you know, they their interest in academics really came from the reading side of it. So, uh, and they all ended up being pretty darn good students. So, uh, I think a lot of that comes from that. that Job well done. And, and that so. That's very cool. Um, yeah, I have all of Gladwell's books, I think, on my shelf right now. Um, I have a, a weird question for you, though. What is the okay. what is the one food that you like that no one else does? That you, if you, your birthday dinner, whatever, you can pick any kind of meal that no one. They're just like, I, I don't, I don't know why you like this. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> that pretty generally. Uh... I think it's anchovies. I'll answer for you. I think yeah, it's anchovies. I, guess, I haven't yeah. heard that yet. I one of my sons likes anchovies as well. So okay, anchovies might be it. I, I don't know. I kind of like the salty. Uh, I don't know. I like anchovies. I used to get it on pizzas when I was in college. So mm. My roommate would eat my food, and then it just kind of I don't know came came one of those things. So was there one yeah. win this season that uh, meant the most to you? I think there was probably two, you know, the the Westover game being the first mm. uh, first game down here, and I, I was here kind of by myself, and then you know, uh, and then the Camden win was big just because we were winning a region game. It was like a sense of uh, you know uh, a measuring stick of you know moving forward. So, do you get nervous before games at all? I don't. Okay. Get excited. I don't get nervous. So. Huh. Um, I, mm-hmm. That comes, you know, when I was younger, maybe a little bit, but mm-hmm. no. What do you, uh, what do you still think about when, in terms of the Marietta game that uh, ended the season? Is there anything you, you're still thinking about? I think that uh, our kids, Yeah, you know, we were really in that game, right, at the mm-hmm. end, and we turned the corner and, and had a shot at winning that thing and uh, gave up a kick return, and uh, our kids, uh, you know, we struggled a little bit emotionally with the way we were behaving on the field, and uh, not towards anybody, just the things we were saying and stuff, the drawing, you know, eliciting some some penalties from the officials uh, kind of reminded me of the third quarter of the Valdosta game. So those are very frustrating moments, but how has that changed at all uh, with in-game trash talk or anything like that? Is that, is it different than when you first started, started coaching or um, is it just more of the same? Uh, It wasn't something that, 
again, I, I'm not used to that, uh, you know, because it's the whole idea of representing yourself and who mm. you want to be. Uh, and so you've got to, you've got to be better to have better. Mm-hmm. So those conversations we're, we're having. Interesting. You know, you don't see, uh, you know, who, arguably who's been the best football team in, in NCAA division one for the last 10 years. The last 10. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Clemson or Bama, but it, I, you can make the case it's Clemson for the last 10, but I guess I'll just still lean Bama and Saban. Yeah, and you watch their kids mm-hmm. play. They don't fast talk. Yeah, Belichick's the same way. There you go. That was going to go there next. Mm. Because it's a wasted energy. It's just a wasted energy, and then you're putting yourself in a position of defending your trash talk, which is another wasted it's this whole idea of cool, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, what is cool? <laughs> cool is a false persona of what you're trying to be. So then you build up this cool factor and it's so high and up there that you got to protect it. So you're never willing to take risks because there's a chance that your own false bravado and coolness is, is, could get a chink in it when you don't even realize that you're not even that. You're just it's something fake that you made up. But yet you got to protect it at all costs because you've done that to yourself. And now you've taken away from your ability to just be a normal person that competes. And uh, so when I think about coolness and I think about trash talking, it's it's a lot of energy that you bring upon and anxiety you bring upon yourself because you've got to you've got to back it up. And and that's awfully hard to do if you're really good at trash talking, because eventually, you you know, it's not going to work out for you. Uh, you know, so my kids were wrestlers or all my boys wrestled in college and, and, uh, wrestled all the way through high school. And, uh, it was hard to win all your matches. So eventually it's, you're going to lose. Yeah. So what's the point? Right. It's the same and, thing with failure. You just embrace it. You have to learn to embrace it. That's just part of the process. You can't win forever. But if you build your cool, if you build up your cool stack so high, <laughs> you can't, you can't ever face that mm-hmm. because you're so busy being cool. And so you're not even the real you version of yourself. You're a fake version of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're worried about being cool. And, uh, not you know that's the reality of that it's a lot of wasted time and energy and uh and and you do it to yourself so uh i think you know i'm like a big band of brothers fan you know you ever watch band of brothers i have yeah so i I really like that and Mm -hmm. my kids and i binge watch it every christmas break so there's another one have you binge watch anything else recently dvd set but uh the whole idea of just accepting your fate and, 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 and just getting on with your life, you know, and, and things will work out, you know, if, if you're just being better. You know, I get the, the scene when they're outside of Barstow there and, the, and the new kid comes in and he's shaking and it's freezing and he jumps in the foxhole 
he's looking at the old vet there and he, he, he's just like wondering how, how's this, how, how, what, you know, what he's, he's obviously scared to death. Mm-hmm. The vet just looks at him. He goes, boy, the sooner you accept the fact you're already dead, you know, then you can become a good soldier. And I, and I think what he's saying there is you can't put all these thoughts in your mind and you can't control anything other than what's right in front of you. Yeah. And anything, anything more than that is just wasted energy and it's wasted time, energy and, and whatever, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and those are a lot of the conversations that I'm having with our kids and, and some of it's really starting to hit home with them, you know, I don't care about the criticism from somebody that I, I won't seek advice from. Mm-hmm. So if, if you guys are worried about the criticisms you're getting on your social media and stuff, how many of those people would you actually call up and ask them their opinion on something? Because if you wouldn't ask them their opinion, why do you care what they think? Do you think that's been super hard on your kids? And just uh-huh. kids today in general, that the social media yeah. aspect, especially well, in high school. I always have that conversation when I speak at coaches clinics about, you know, when we were kids, we could go into the lunchroom in seventh grade and ask that really cute girl, once you finally got your dander up and ask her if she wanted to go steady, and then she could deny you and make fun of you in front of the whole whole deal and all your buddies would tease you and stuff and then you would get on the school bus and go home and by the next day it was kind of forgotten right mm-hmm. kids nowadays leave school and it gets worse because it ramps up you know and all their little chat spaces and, and all that stuff that they do to each other and and they don't think about it in terms of real you know, so one of the things that I do is I read their tweets or their Instagram posts or whatever else. If it's, uh, it's something that I read them all out because they're 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 public, mm-hmm. and I'll read them to the team if I feel like they're detrimental to the team, or the idea of the team, or if it's if it's negative about a teammate. And uh, you do a couple of those, and that seems to take care of itself for <laughs> a while. But I like that, you know, they're mad, but here's the deal. Putting it on a public uh, social media site or anything of that nature is like painting it on a wall. It's a public entity just because it, you know, uh, it's there, you know, you didn't come out of your mouth. It came out of your, your brain, you know. So you got to own it. So. Hmm. I don't like that. Um, how has coaching changed the most since when you first became a head coach? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure it has really, you know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I always, it's just different. You know, mm-hmm. it's different for the kids. It's different for the the coaches. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't, I don't, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, it, you know, you go back and watch Happy Days. I mean, it's the same stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Years later. So I, I, I think that there's the understanding, the 
social issues is and and updating them so that you're not you know you're not out of date but they're all very similar you know acceptance uh girls pressure to do uh detrimental things to yourselves and then who do you see as your role models and uh and and, and then you just have to you have to begin down that process of all of those things right so um you know, and it's 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 hard to be dedicated to something, you know. But if you are, I think the process between uh, eighth grade and, and your junior year, those are the biggest years. You just got to grab a hold, uh, kids, and hug them, and, uh, and and then you know just hug the bad right out of them, and uh, and uh, and hope for the best. But I would say the legitimate idea of information is uh is probably the is the biggest hurdle that now coaches have to deal with do you have a post-season ritual do you have a place a getaway spot that you like to go to do you have uh something where you're like okay i need to go clear my head i need to step back i need to go here and take some time i need to be away from football not think about football for x amount of days do you have anything like that no i don't really have a lot of you know, i'm a kind of a family guy you know mm-hmm. so i i'm I, you know i really uh i enjoy the company of my wife uh I enjoy my children. Um, you know, that, that's changed a little bit because I, I, I'll fly out and watch them compete in college and stuff. But uh, I don't, you know, they compete in sports collegially. My daughter plays soccer as well in college. So um, I don't really, I don't, I don't really have any hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I kind of enjoy yeah. my family. Enjoy. I just, you know, for me to come home when we had four children, seven years younger and younger, and tell my wife I was going to go golfing all day Saturday, it was just—I didn't see how that would go over well. And then I, so, and we didn't, you know, so time and money, I never did that. I enjoy fishing. Okay. But not by myself, and uh, you know, I—I uh, I like preparing for football as much as I like the season, if not even more. I enjoy the off season. I enjoy. Because it's it's about building relationships, and so I kind of look forward to getting back at it. You know, we we really lifted hard between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then for the first time ever, we had uh, uh, lifting dates over Christmas break, which I used to do all the time in my last place. And you know, it's a little more casual. The kids will come in, and we'll all lift together, and you know, but it's just a good touch point a couple times a week. And I enjoyed that, and so it's it's been good, man. I, I don't really do get away though by Did myself. You? No. Have you ever tried contacts? Have I ever tried what? Contacts. You're a glasses contacts. guy. There are not a lot of glasses guys out there in coaching, and I'm a glasses wearer. I can't do contacts. So I'm just curious. Do you have like do you do you think it would change how you coach if you went contacts uh, for this fall? Would that just catch everyone by surprise? Would people be concerned? Your wife be concerned if you flipped it to contacts at this point? Uh, I don't know, man. Glasses <laughs> uh, make me look uh, more studious than I am actually. So. They are. They do come in handy for that. It, it's a. It's a nice. Uh, it's a nice illusion uh, for us. 
Um, well, I'll end with this. What do you think if I had to, if I had every coach that you played on this year, and I've had a couple on on, on your calendar that I've talked to that I know, but if I got all of them on this podcast and I just asked them all, what is the what was the most pain in the butt aspect of playing against your Blue Devils this year? What do you think they would say? I have no clue. <laughs> I have I have no I have no idea. I mean, I'm kind of an outsider, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know any of those gentlemen other than, you know, some of the passings I've had speaking at clinics over the years, but you know, I've had, I've seen it all this year and I'm kind of a, for the most part, a pretty mild manner guy publicly. So, uh, I've had a lot of different, I've seen it all. So, but I don't know. You would probably know that better than I would. So. Well, it sounds like your defense would probably be my answer is just how physical yeah. your defense is. I would guess it's something uh, on that front. Yeah, I would bet. And, um, you know, most of that credit would go to Mike West, who's been here for a while. So, uh, you know, I still have a lot to prove and, and a lot to, uh, you know, I, I have a lot to work at to earn the respect and the admiration of folks. And uh, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'll be all right. You know, I've, we've, we've won enough games over the years that uh, my wife and I, we enjoy the building process and, and that's what, you know, that'll, that'll happen. I, I don't have any doubt. And when it goes, it'll be awfully hard to stop because the foundation will have been built right along with it. Absolutely. And your region's fun, man. Like you're in a, you're in a fun region. It's competitive, but it's fun. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's interesting. It's like right out of Remember the Titans kind of. Yes. Uh, I mean, I had Jamie DeBose on last week who uh, with Lowndes. And, I mean, you got Lowndes, Colquitt, and Camden. That is a, that's a heavyweight region. That is a heavyweight region that you're dealing with every year. But that's fun. And it sounds like the, co- the competitive nature in you of just being like, you know what? This is, uh, this is awesome. The competition's fierce. And I've got to bring – like our team's got to bring our A game every week because it's, it's tough. Class 7A football in the state of Georgia is a different, a different animal entirely. And you're in, uh, I think, one of the more uh, difficult regions across the state. Yeah, I think, and, and that's why I'm here, right? I, yeah. uh, <clears throat> I had to know. I was in my last, I started, I was 22 years old when I started coaching. Head coach at 22 years old in inner city Flint. And I was there for five years. And then my wife and I moved to West Michigan and we were in the same community for 25 years. And uh, it's something I had to know, you know, I, we stayed the last 10 because our kids were coming of age and the school system was really well built well for what they're, you know, getting them launched to where they were going and, and doing. And, uh, it's a really good wrestling community as well. So it fit, it fit what we're doing, but as soon as we packed them all up, you know, we found this, uh, this wonderful community and we're really excited about, you know, what we're building and, and the foundation we're laying for the future. Coach, it's been great talking to you this evening. I greatly appreciate you making the time. Uh, as we wrap up here, though, how do the good folks support Tiff County football and uh, your operation uh, in the coming months? Well, uh, I think they just they got to stay, you know, in the positive side of things. Get behind the kids. Uh, don't really ask for a lot. Usually, I just, I, I, you know, 
I think the the staying positive and uh, and uh, in support of of kids, you know, Tiff County football is full of kids, and and we got to remember that. So. I like that. I like that. Coach, good luck on this off season. Enjoy it. Get some fishing in. I promise fishing alone's cool. Do it all the time. Fishing alone's great. Um good get a book in there. It's good. Um and Gladwell's book's pretty good. I don't know if you read the most recent one. But um thank you so much for making the time. Good luck next season. But we'll have to check back in again soon. All right, Chase. All right, thank you. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase the Most Podcast. Thank you again to our wonderful guests for coming on today's edition of the podcast. Matt Green, follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow David Locke on Twitter at DLock09. And then, of course, keep up with the the good folks down there at Tiff County and support that program that Neil Dean is building down there in the GHSA and uh, Class 7A classification. It's a, it's a tough division and uh, tough region, all that good stuff, but... I very much enjoyed talking to Neil and talking to David and, of course, Matt, uh, where he got to gloat about the University of Georgia winning a national title. But all good. All good. Uh, Thank you again to you, the listener, for listening to today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Make sure to go check out chasethomaspodcast.com for access to all of my previous episodes. Go leave this show a five-star rating and a review of the program on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps more than you know. Uh, email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com for any future mailbag questions or anything uh, on that front. Follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. And then of course, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email every day, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Thank you, as always, for your continued support, and you will get a new episode on this very feed tomorrow. Talk to you then, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.